0: Good morning, everybody. It's absolutely superb to be here. And uh, it's lovely because I know so many people in the congregation, and uh, friends, and other people as well. The last time I was here was for a very special lady's baptism, and that lady is Joan. And I was with some of her supporters, and I had my tissues out, and I was weeping about the wonderful story of Joan and how Jesus restored her life and how different she is when I first met her. Uh, I run a small bingo group in Bishop's Stortford and Joan came along and she's very much part of that bingo group. And uh, it was just lovely to see what Jesus has done in Joan's life. Although my story has nothing like Joan's, there is similarities. I was adopted, um, discovered that a good few years ago when I was in trouble. I was always in trouble. I was in trouble at school. I was in trouble with my adopted mum and dad. Life was very difficult. I'm actually Scottish, although you won't realise that from my accent, but I'm actually a true born Scot. And uh, we talk about the weather as well, Gary. (laughs) When I was adopted, I didn't know what had happened to the first year and a half of my life. I still don't know. It's a complete mystery. But my adopted father was not very nice to me at all. But I'm, I'm not going to go into those details. But it set me on a life that was none too good. I was expelled from primary school Uh, in Scotland they had the belt when I was younger and I was continually having the belt because I was so naughty and I remember one day I was walking along the road with my mum she was sort of marching out in front she was a school teacher and uh, she said I don't know why we've got you you're so much trouble we adopted you And my life just fell apart at that moment. And I went to what was called the Free Church of Scotland, where we didn't have an organist. All the elders wore the old wing collars. And, uh, you know, we had to go twice a day with my nice hat and my coat and my white gloves and put on this facade that everything was fine at home. But it was far from it. Recently, my daughter said to me, when I said to her, you're turning into my mother, which children often do when the parents get slightly older. And Fiona said, I don't want to be like your mother. Your mother was cruel. And I said to Fiona, I didn't mean that. I meant that you're looking after me, and I'm looking after you. You're not anything like my mother. So that was my, that was my childhood I then went to secondary school, one of the biggest comprehensives in Glasgow. And at the age of 14, I was expelled again. I was pregnant, having been on the streets working as a prostitute in Glasgow. I was the leader of a gang, and I was taking amphetamines just to keep me on the straight and narrow but it wasn't the straight and narrow. I had a son when I was just turned 15. I was a month into my 15th birthday, and I was still at home, but they didn't want me to have the baby at home, so I was sent off to a Church of Scotland mother and baby home where we had to get down on the hands and knees and scrub the floors and do all the things because they said it was good because it would make the baby come early. Anyway, there was complications and I was taken into Rotten Row Maternity Hospital in Glasgow where I nearly screamed the place down. One of the nurses came and slapped me on the face and told me to shut up. I had the baby and to my horror, he was black. My mum and dad just didn't want to know. And because I was so young, he was put up for adoption. I had no say in the matter at all. But because I was on heroin by then, he had problems. He had problems with his back, and it turned out that he was deaf as well. And what, what we used to do was my mum used to post the letters to my great-aunt in Walthamstow, and then it would come back, because she told everybody I was in London, staying with my great-aunt. Such was the shame of my father, being an elder in the Kirk in Scotland that they didn't want anybody to know that I'd produced this baby, and let alone a white baby, a black baby. I named him Bruce after Robert the Bruce, one of the kings of Scotland, and I kept him for six weeks, as that was the time in those days, and we had to produce a layette for the baby. we had to breastfeed as well. And then at six weeks, he was taken from me. And I didn't hear anything about him for years and years and years. My life then continued to go in a downward spiral. And I was sleeping rough a lot of the time. Sometimes I went and uh, had a room somewhere. But there was one room I was given in, uh, down in Green Lanes in London... And I had to bang a broom before I went in there because there was cockroaches in that room. I've never liked cockroaches since. It's the only creepy crawly that I'm scared of. And when I went to Uganda and I was staying there, there was cockroaches. (laughs) But I managed to kill them. Anyway, that was my life. I was on the streets. I was working as a prostitute. I was mainlining heroin. And I was working for a pimp. And if you don't do what you're supposed to do, then they keep keep the heroin back from you. Nothing has changed. I'm uh, going to be 70 soon. So we're talking about 50, 50, 55 years ago. Nothing has changed in this world. It's the same as it was then, as it is now. Pimps control people. Every one day... I was down at Charing Cross Station, down the embankment, and I went in there to uh, shoot up, and I looked in the mirror. I saw this haggard old face, and I thought, that can't be me. But it was me, and I suddenly heard the words of a song that I'd sung in Sunday school when I was a child, wide wide is the ocean and deep as the love for me and those words came back to me and i thought does jesus still love me because when i was younger i went to billy graham when he was in glasgow i think it was in 1958 or something and i went forward and my minister said to me you'll never be a christian you're far too naughty so that was my life. My life was just drugs, prostitution, sleeping rough, going places, drugs, prostitution, going places. And this went on until I was nearly 20, 19, 20. And I was down at the embankment again waiting for a pickup. And I had people preaching. And I heard the name Jesus. So I sort of hung around And uh, thought, right, I'll listen to what they're saying. So anyway, I thought, and then I crept away. I didn't want to talk to anybody. And then another Sunday, I went back, and I heard the gospel again. And I thought, I wonder if this is for me. So I sidled up to somebody and just said that uh, I'd be interested. So they had a place in uh, in Buckingham Street in uh, central London, it's just off the Strand. And I went back to this, it was an office of accountants called Foot Davson and Company. And they just prayed with me. And I went off and uh, back to the old life again. I just couldn't, I had no money, there's nothing I could do. So I was still on the streets. And then they suggested that I might like to go and stay somewhere. And I thought, yeah, that sounds good. So they found a place for me in, uh, up in Clapham Common of a lady who uh, put up people with difficulties and problems. And I went there. But it was so, so hard. I just couldn't give up the drugs. And I just couldn't stop doing what I was doing. So one night I went out. And I took an overdose. And uh, the chap who was looking, at the people who were looking after me came. And I'd gone. And they prayed, God let me find her. And they came out. And um, I don't know how it happened, but they found me. And took me to St. Thomas's Hospital where I had my stomach pumped out. They wanted me to go to the Maudsley Clinic, um, which is South London, but they said, no, we'll take care of Norma, we'll look after her. She's not going into psychiatric care. So they came and they took me, and they took me down to a place uh, just outside of Tunbridge Wells called Pembury, where there was a big old house, and it was down there that I went through cold turkey. But things in between had happened. I'd gone to the YM, you know, the YWCA in Watford. I'd got thrown out of there uh, because I, in, I threw a mousse at somebody. Well, it was a whole bowl of mousse, and I tipped her over this girl's head because I was fed up with her. I couldn't even remember her name. Her name was Renata, and she was so good-looking and posh and spoke with a really nice accent, and I tipped this bowl of mousse over her head. So there again I was thrown out. And my life just continued like that. But I went down to Pembury, just outside of Tunbridge Wells, and I was looking after an old lady. It was uh, Mr Foote's mother. And uh, I was welcomed as one of the family, but I wasn't allowed out on my own. I had to be escorted everywhere. And what I used to do was have a fly cigarette out the window... By this time, I'd actually given up the heroin. I'd given up everything. And I was struggling with my health as well. Anyway, life carried on like that. But again, the call of the drugs and everything else was just too much. And I ran away again. And uh, came back to London for a very short time. Again, I was found. I don't know how. This is how God had his hand on me. Anyway, I went back down to Pembury and uh, I was given a job in a vicar's house who's just come back from Uganda, uh, Reverend David Bishop and his wife Elizabeth. Elizabeth was formidable and uh, I looked after their four children and it was only two years ago that I met up with the children again, of course they're all grown up, but uh, it was lovely. And met up with David and uh, his wife unfortunately had died. But I lived with them in Seven Oaks and I continued to go to the church in Pembury which was a house group and my life started to change. They prayed for a husband for me I thought, that's about the last thing I want as a husband. Anyway, they thought I might need a husband, having been on the streets for so long. They thought I couldn't do without sex. I'll tell you, sex was the last thing on my mind. (laughs) But they prayed for this husband for me, and I met up with him. I was in a field uh, helping at a crusader uh, Bible camp, and this chap came along and asked if he could help me. And uh, he took me home, and uh, it was going to be my 21st birthday, I think it was, soon afterwards, and I invited him to my party. So life was beginning to get better. I'd got baptized in water, by immersion, of course. And uh, the worship that we had was very much like what you, what you have now. And I thought, I really need to give my life to the Lord to rededicate myself to his work. Anyway, I was at St. George's Hospital one day. I belonged to a group um, of survivors of um, child abuse. And I got a white rose, and I laid it on the altar. And the other people there gathered around me and prayed. And that was really the start of the healing that God had for me in my life. The white rose symboled the pureness and the purity of my life. All the the, the horrible things had gone and I was dressed in robes of white and somebody had a prophetic word for me as well from the gifts of the spirit and they said that they saw me in white robes and also white knickers now how they knew I had white knickers on, well I didn't actually, but they said that is your purity, that is what God has done for you. So anyway, we, we lived in just outside of Tunbridge Wells and two of my children were born down there and then we moved up moved up to Bishop Stalkford, we went to Phoenix Pelham first and I was very much into helping those who had nothing because of the trials and tribulations in my own life and God and my family and my husband were the centre of my life and uh, started helping people did a bit of work for the probation service uh, worked in Chelmsford Prison for two and a half years with, uh, with prisoners who were on the, there getting them housed and everything else but all this was still there in the back of my mind Even though there'd been healing, it was difficult to forget. Because when my father was ill and I had to go down and look after him, he was living in Milford on Sea, near Hampshire. And uh, I stayed there for two or three nights. And uh, of course, when you get older, men often have trouble with the bladder, or so do women. But anyway, I could hear his footsteps and I'd be lying rigid in my bed, even though he was over 80. All the fears had come back again. So I asked some friends to pray for me, which they did. And it was a wonderful glorious being set free eventually from the past. Because if you can't love yourself, then you can't love other people. And then I started going to... Uh, the Carers Centre in Bishop's Stortford. But I was praying for a church up on the Havers Estate where I live. And then I went one Sunday. Uh, my dad My grandson was playing hockey and I'd come back and I'd got a phone call asking me to go into the hall there because there was something wrong with the heating because I was one of the caretakers. So I went in and I found some people singing the very songs that I knew and I thought this sounds interesting anyway Dan didn't want to stay he was hungry so we we didn't stay and then I suddenly thought I wonder what this church is because it sounded a bit weird because the church that I'd been in when I came off the streets it was a bit of a cult and we weren't allowed to mix with other Christians and you know, stuff like that it was a bit—it was a bit weird. So anyway, I then started going to the Havers Community Church. It's run by David and Yinka, and thoroughly enjoyed it. It was great fun. And then I suddenly thought about a night shelter in Bishopstalford, and I met Mandy. And uh, the children had just moved out of the hall because it was no longer fit for purpose. There was a nursery there, apple tree. I said to Mandy, I think God's telling us to start a night shelter. And she said, that's funny. I've been praying about what, what God wants to do with the hall. So that was the birth of the Bishop's Dortford night shelter. And also the food bank as well. I was praying about starting a food bank because when we had a a small office in Bishop's Stortford, I was working for Chrysalis Drug Agency because they like ex-users, and we'd lost our funding. And I was wondering what to do next. And I thought, well, we'll have a little food bank. So we had one upstairs. Then, of course, we, we closed, so we couldn't do it anymore. But I knew that God would start something else up because I know that my God loves me so much and that Jesus died for me. And if it wasn't for my Lord and my Saviour, I wouldn't be here now. I would be six foot under. Several times I was in despair and wanted to kill myself and nearly succeeded on two occasions. But God, for some bizarre reason, loved me and kept me in his hand. So we started up the food bank. I met up with a chap from the CVS, and I said, I want to talk to you about something, Ian. And he said, well, actually, I want to talk to you about something, Norma. So I said, well, you go first. And he said, "Uh, just wondering whether you've thought of opening up a food bank. Now, Ian's not a Christian. And I said, well, that's funny, because God's been talking to me about opening up a food bank. So that was the start of the Bishop Stortford Food Bank. And I've just found that God has blessed me over the years. When I came off the streets, all I had was the clothes that I stood in and a green towel. That was all my possessions. I didn't have anything else. And God has blessed me abundantly. I have my own home, which I thought I would never have. I've put up young people in there uh, who have been in trouble, but i I don't do it so much now uh, because my children worry about me so I'm very careful and the police were worried about me as well but I've got got a car I've got four gorgeous grandchildren who I'm seeing next weekend I have four children I have two godchildren and as many people say I'm the mum of Bishop Storkford, I don't ask for it But I know that my God is there, and my God will help me. And I don't know how Gary got hold of my book. I've no idea whatsoever. But when he asked me to come and speak, I thought, yes, I will. Even though it's so long ago when it happened, it's still there. And I thank God that I can stand in front of you today and tell my story. And there's bits that I've left out because it would take, it was was a whole book that was written. But I think I've said enough now because I know that Jesus loves me and he's got me in the palm of his hand. And he will never let go because God, Jesus, has done so much for me. Thank you.